How's everyone doing? Where are we? We're supply chain meets fintech. No, this isn't a, a B movie. This is actually a really prescient event. I mean, if you guys are paying attention over the weekend with uh, with SVB, there was a huge collision that almost happened with, with freight tech and fintech and banking. We'll get all into that. First, we've got to do a little housekeeping here. Thank you, everyone, for coming to this event. I'd like to thank our the uh, sponsor of this entire show, which is Zen Hedge, the What the Truck Show sponsor, which is Triumph Pay. You can see their lovely logo right behind me. There's a prize today. If you haven't registered, if you're watching this on one of our other channels, you can win a Yeti Roadie. All you got to do is go to live.freightwaves.com, and you'll win one of these things right here. I'm not even sure one of what one of those things does if you win one. Uh, DM me. Let me know. Also, we got some other virtual events. So while you're at live.freightwaves.com, also register April 5th for our 3PL Summit and April 26th for our Small Fleet and Owner Operator Summit. I'll be there. Will you? I don't know. We'll find out. Let's take a look at a number of the day before we get into things here. This, my dear friends, is a McDonald's hash brown. It is $3.09. Getting pricey, is it not? A processed piece of potato right there. Now, let's take a look at the national spot rate. Throw this index up right here in Sonar. That's $2.37. That's right. We are down below the hash brown line, people. Hash brown's 309. Spot rate's 237. This is not a good thing. In fact, Travis Winnen says baseball has the Mendoza line. We have the McDonald's line. Ed Bird says, does this mean HPM hash browns per mile is now an appropriate measurement for trucking? Could be onto something. Gregory Vanilla, he's got a finance degree. He says, wow, at first glance, looks funny as hell. But instead, this is really effed up. Hope those spot rates are back up shortly. Nicholas Haywood says, the best I can do is a McDouble and a large Coke per mile. And Paul McClellan says, can I supersize that spot rate, please? Absolutely. These are our listeners. Thank you, folks. Anyways, on the show today, did Freight Tech almost experience an extinction-level event? Freightways editorial director Rachel Premack has the latest on what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and how it may have impacted freight. Speaking of Ricks, we have Zen Hedge CEO Krishna Kandesamy. He's talking about mitigating freight transportation risks in a post-pandemic world. Triumph Bay's EVP, Chief Commercial Officer and Chief Relationship Management Officer. Dan Curtis, he breaks down the rising interest rate market and shares how to help brokers. And we got the uh, Comfrate Hall Pay founder and CEO, Steve Cochin. He's going to discuss transportation, business finance, and credit risk in a challenging market. But you know what? Rachel Remax here right now. So what are we waiting for? Let's bring her up. Editorial director at Freightways. Rachel, what's going on? You bought any hash browns lately or are you uh, taking out any uh, high interest loans to buy them? No, no and no. Although I do love hash browns. I think they're my favorite side at McDonald's for sure. Do you think we're onto something with the with the Mendoza line being just the cost of a, a hash brown? Is that a good cost of living indicator on where spot rate should be? So it's a really interesting indicator to pick because there actually is the Big Mac index that economists I mean kind of informally oh, yes. use to track uh you know cost of living in certain areas, you know just in countries around the world. So a Big Mac in Sweden, for example, costs way more than a Big Mac in the U.S. A Big Mac in the U.S., I would imagine, costs a lot more than one in India. I don't know if they serve Big Macs in India because that's 
cow, yeah. but that's a whole other story. Uh, so I think I think you're onto something by using a McDonald's item. Yeah, I think that there's uh, there's some traction there. Um, we almost might not have needed any more sonar charts. I mean, the whole entire freight tech scene, and I didn't realize this at first. You hear there's a bank failure happening, right? And you hear SVB, and it's like, oh, that, that, that's horrible. Probably has nothing to do with me. What's going on with this thing? Well, then very quickly we realized it might have a lot to do with not just us, but a lot of people in the freight tech community. What happened with SVB? Uh, I think that was Thursday this all started to fall apart. Yeah, yeah. So... SVB, not a household name, but it actually has four decades of history with backing VC firms and startups and even being that key bank for a lot of tech employees in the Silicon uh, Valley area. Uh, And over the past week, it just kind of became clear that this bank was not doing well. This kind of uh, stems back to, you could say it's a low interest rate phenomenon. They started buying lots of long-term treasury bonds in 2021. Uh, when interest rates started to climb back up, the values of those bonds decreased. Uh, the borrowing rate became so expensive that a lot of SVB clients started to pull their money out. And it all kind of you know, reached a crescendo last week, and uh, the federal government officially closed SVB on Friday, which sparked a lot of concerns across the entire startup community, including uh, in our own freight, freight startup world. Yeah, you know, the first indicator I saw on that, and there's been some interesting follow-up, but it was, it was Ryan Peterson from Flexboard, and he just tweeted out bank run. And I'm like, man, what does that even mean? And it's funny because that that story has progressed because the Lodestar, they published yeah. an article saying that um, that Flexport was was probably most definitely a banker with uh, with SVB. And they're like, no, we didn't touch that stuff at all. But a lot of freight tech companies did. Who was in the line of fire? Who was in trouble? Because the most immediate thing that happened was everyone was like, oh, crap, how are we supposed to make payroll? Yeah, well, the one big company I can think of, and I can say this publicly because our CEO was talking about this on CNBC, is Freightwaves. Freightwaves was an SVB banker. Uh, it turns out all of our money is safe. We're we're good, uh, but it's certainly it is it is certainly something that was certainly concerning to I imagine quite a few of these uh, freight startups. So what what was happening in the back end? I mean, we heard Craig talk about this, and I know. On our side, we had to do the thing that you're always most thankful for. And I think Craig said something to the effect, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, a board doesn't really matter in good times. What you really want is a board that can pick you up when you when you fall down, when you have those uh, near-death experiences. Yeah, so I think this is kind of this is definitely a key issue we're we're facing here. I, I I've been thinking, you know, there's a lot of freight startups that I imagine aren't, you know about to collapse, about to, you know, what be wiped out, but they're not exactly thriving right now. And if their investors, if their board kind of thinks, eh, maybe this one's not worth saving, maybe this other one's more worth saving, that could be the end of of the of their company, even if they're not, you know, exactly about to collapse, you know, right away. But so, sort of the acceleration of this could be could have happened as a result of SVB. But as we know, uh the bank was not bailed out, but kind of bailed out, uh, you know, in the last week. So perhaps those sort of major collapses have are, are not going to happen. Well, I mean, what does this mean for the space and investing in this space? It was already 
kind of challenging to go out and get funding and the, and the deals weren't as frothy as we'd seen in previous years. And this is before the bank failed. So what is, what's that going to mean for 2023? I'd, I'd be pretty scared right now if I was trying to raise my, my Series A. Yeah, I would say it's not not the best sign. I think in general, this is a kind of a, a poor indicator for the health of the U.S. banking system. We've already seen Moody's actually uh, decrease their rating of U.S. banking as a whole. So it's definitely not a favorable time for companies that are looking to raise funds or even just, you know, up their line of credit, essentially. Are, are we out of the woods yet? Or are there going to be more more failures? You know, I heard yesterday Bank of America saw billions in extra deposits as people pull from regionals to big ones. Do you think we stopped the domino effect here? Uh, is this only going to get worse? It seems that these regional banks are especially uh, hurt by by what's going on here. And I think what, what also needs to happen is just looking at what sort of regulations do we have on these regional banks? Uh, and you know, taking SVB, for example, yes, that was a regional bank that managed to get out of some of these regulations that uh, were passed, especially in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. But obviously, SVB is doing is doing business with companies that aren't exactly, you know, a mom and pop, you know, five and dime store on the corner. Uh, you know, banks like SVB are, are backing some really major companies and backing companies all over the country, all over the world, in fact, for, in SVB's case. So I think looking a little bit more closely at what sort of regulations do we have on these regional banks? Are they as stringent as they should be, considering uh, some of these do have a really major impact outside of just their own little region? I think that's a really key next step for the U.S. Uh, you know, political sector to really look into. The main questions I keep hearing is uh, herpa derpa. Doesn't everybody know? Uh, you know, in, it, deposits are only insured at two hundred fifty thousand. Any bank you walk into has the sign. Well, what about payroll? Like, where do you keep payroll? Where do companies keep money liquid? But do, do regulators need to step in? Because one of the things that SVB was doing, as I understand it, is they wouldn't allow you to remove a lot of that risk because they forced you to do all of the banking through them. So even if you wanted to put this money elsewhere, you did not have that option. Yeah, suddenly in the last week, everyone is an expert on SVB and all banking regulation, like out of nowhere. Everyone's like, well, don't you know that this bank has this, <laughs> this and that problem? And it's like, did you know that? Like, have you heard of this bank before a few days ago? Uh, but yeah, definitely. I think payroll was really the key issue for a lot of these companies that were banking with SVB because today, the 15th, it is it is payday. Yeah. So and it was not even a week ago that this bank was starting to really collapse and starting to uh, disintegrate. So if you can't make payroll, that's that's I, yeah. I would maybe not be such a so so happy with my employer if I was not nah. getting that key sort of part of the employment. Ask, uh, Ask their Slink employees from last year about that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, as of Monday, the federal government said that all SVB depositors had have been have, have been able to access their funds okay so well rachel before i let you rachel before i let you go i gotta send you the wheel of stupid questions so round and round uh, it goes let's see where we end up today Ooh, i like this one okay can you say that you read a book if you only listen to the audio version 
Yeah, I think so. And I don't read audiobooks just or listen to audiobooks just because I don't have a car. It's just I don't know. I just prefer reading. I think you can say that for sure. All right, that's a very progressive viewpoint. What if you watch like the movie? Is does that count too? No. No. Okay. No. Wikipedia way. article does that count? Movies are always so different from the book. Okay. All right. Well, I like it. I what wish you, you were think? my professor. <laughs> Rachel, where does Do everyone go that- to uh where does everyone go to subscribe to modes? Uh, Freightwaves.com slash modes, or you can check me out on LinkedIn. It's just my name, Rachel Premack, or on Twitter at RRPRE. Okay. Well, hey, Rachel, take it easy. Be good out there. Thanks. All right. Take care. All right. Meanwhile, let's take a look here. I bet she's got a good punch. Oof. He found out. Now, we talk about risk management a lot. What could this guy have done differently? Well, for one thing, he could have not stood in the line of fire. It's a dangerous position to be in. I know it seemed highly unlikely that her aim would be so poor that she would miss the bag here and hit him directly in the face, knocking him over a movie sign. But things can happen. That's why we mitigate risk. Anyways, I don't know. I feel like those things always cheat. It never says I hit hard enough whenever I whack those things. I bet my, uh, I bet our next guest could tilt one of those, though. It's Christian Kandasami, CEO at Zen Hedge. Uh, Christian, did I, did I say that Okay. You did. You did a pretty good job. I think so. I think so. You got a you got a good you got a good punch. <laughs> well, it's always about anticipating where the punch might land. You know, that's the critical thing in risk management. And uh, he was standing too close to the uh, firing line, in my opinion, <laughs> as a risk manager. Yeah, I sure do. I mean, how did you get into risk management to to begin with? And I know you're, you're, it's kind of your CEO, but you still define yourself. As a, as a risk manager, what is like your, your origin story here? Yeah, so, you know, I have a background in finance and uh, risk management, predominantly in commodity hedging, price risk management. And one of the things that um, you learn in the risk management phase is you try to protect the downside. You know, you don't really worry about how much profit you're going to make. You're worrying more about, um, you know, how much losses can you stop? And in, in that way, it is actually helping, um, um, you know, making your business sustainable, continue to grow. So I got into this space because of the fact that I found out that a lot of big companies, uh, small companies have really difficulty managing, understanding, mitigating risks. And it's uh, partly a fault of, you know, the acronyms and the jargon that is used in the risk management world, but Zenage's goal is to make uh, things simpler and uh, transparent and uh, help those companies that really do need a risk management solution uh, be able to use it. So before we dive too deep into this one, you said something really interesting there, and it almost sounds like you, you have the impression that a lot of people when they're thinking about risk management, they're, they're not thinking about enough. They're thinking about two small categories when there's broader things. Can you, can you go a little deeper on, on that? What are the categories that you think they're thinking too much about and what are the ones they're not thinking enough about? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, this, I, not to beat up on SPB, this is a 40-year-old <laughs> institution that uh, was bankrupt in 48 hours. Okay? <sighs> so... I think the simple way to um, explain why that happened is uh, block, uh, lack of proper risk management potentially. You know, they, their risk manager should have found out what was happening and, and taken, taken some actions against it. A lot of times uh, what we notice is businesses focus on uh, way to mitigate risk in a purely operational way. You know, 
maybe they may make a better in the in the context of freight world. Uh, they may think about optimizing the networks. They may think about using, you know, the best carriers uh, relationships, shipper carrier relationship, or try to become the shipper of choice or carrier of choice. Those are some of the operational ways to mitigate, trying to reduce the downtime for uh, truckers and so on and so forth. Those are some of the operational ways um, freight companies try to mitigate risk. They also look at technology, you know, uh, analytics, uh, software platforms, digital platforms, PMS systems. Those are all technology way of mitigating the risks that are embedded in the transportation world. But they also... Uh, but they typically miss out on the financial ways. The only way they miss out, uh, you know, the only way they think about it is they think about it from a uh, budget procurement budget standpoint, but they don't have an effective financial tool to mitigate that risk. And that is very critical in this post-pandemic world where things are changing rapidly. Um, you know, it's not just uh, just in case, uh, you know, it's a just in case scenario nowadays, not just in time. And you do need to think about the third leg that is really important for mitigating risk, which is you know, the it, financial tools that are available. It's interesting because now you hear due to the big, it, first there was the capacity crisis, then there was the inventory crisis. And now you hear that a lot of those pandemic practices of going to just in case are falling right back to just in time because it's tough because it, it looks yep. better on the books. But this is this brings me to my next question. So what does the rerouting of global supply chains mean for someone like you? So it sounds like an easy thing to say. It sounds like an easy headline. But I met someone at your desk is like, oh, well, this this means a lot of changes and it means a lot of risk. It, it does mean a lot of risk because what you're looking at is and I like to go to stores and figure out where they are manufactured. And I seeing increasingly new countries of origin being displayed in those products. What that means is supply chain is fundamentally changing. Uh, you may have heard the phrase um, onshoring, nearshoring, friendshoring uh, in that order. So these are some of the things that are happening. And what it means is that there are new partnerships need to be built, new trust bridges need to be built that all poses uh, risk for, for companies. What about deglobalization? So that that you and you kind of touched on that here. It, how does this change the the risk profile? And conversely, not not deglobalizing or not following that trend is there might be some risk inherent in that as well. Is there not? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is a phrase that has come out, uh, you know, for the past few years, and COVID particularly highlighted it. You know how deglobalization. Uh, we are happening, right? We are more and more companies, uh, governments of uh, the Europe, European companies and, uh, you know, in North America are trying to reshore, uh, bring back manufacturing to the, to the country. What it means from a trucking side of things is that you're going to have more need to inland transport, right? So that is means that there is also going to be potential repercussions on the trucking world. Uh, there may not be as much linkages between ports and inland. It may be more inland and manufacturing centers to distribution centers. So the rerouting of that is going to be uh, a significant uh, risk that, that is still unwinding. It's still happening right now. So we are, st we are still in the middle of it. No, yeah. I mean, it's impossible not to talk about these subjects with obviously something like SVB coming up. And you mentioned it's 48 hours, right? But it's even quicker yeah. if you're in that, that heat of that moment, because once the word starts spreading about this, all the systems lock up, right? You can't get through customer yeah. service. You can't get to your money. It may as well be like 10 hours. So with that in mind, does the world need more rapidly responding risk mitigation tools? 
Absolutely. I think that's some of the things that, uh, that we develop at Zen Hedge is solutions that, you know, not only uh, tell you how to prevent risk and how to help you with the risk, but also makes you whole. You know, that is one of the things. A lot of the solutions that we talked about from a technology standpoint or an operational standpoint uh, don't give you cash payments for if something goes wrong. At Zen Hedge, we are developing solutions, particularly an insurance solution that can help uh, companies that are facing supply chain disruption, either in the trucking world or the transportation side, uh, to make them whole on whatever that disruption happens. And uh, you, you know, the, the the main thing that we we look for in these companies is that, like you mentioned, last year it was shippers who were yeah. in trouble. You know, they were talking about budget overruns and things like that. Now it is carriers, right? So are you going to tell me that the shippers are not going to have problems a few years from now? Absolutely. They are going to have problems again. So this whole cycle of uh, risks that are getting transferred from shippers to carriers uh, is happening all the time. And guess what? There are companies going bankrupt because of that slashing of risk and slashing of prices. And at ZenHedge, what we want to do is provide solutions for both shippers and carriers uh, so that they mitigate that risk you know, that risk of higher volatility in freight rates, uh, the risk of tender rejection. Uh, those are the ways that we try to mitigate it. So how does it work? How, like, I, so I insure my, what am I, like, tell me, walk me through the process here. So I, I, I've got a load, and now what am I doing with the Zen Hedge? Okay, so let's assume you're a shipper. You have a, a, a book of lanes, and you have a transportation budget that you are trying to meet, okay? Mm. And let's say that the book of lanes that you have is closely matches uh, a benchmark index that is already published, okay? And because you are worried about prices going up and the rejections happening, what ZenHedge can do is ensure your book of lanes for certain trigger points that is linked to the benchmark. So for example, uh, let's say a, a shipper says, hey, I want to, I want to make sure that uh, whenever the Freight waves national truckload index goes about two dollars and fifty cents. I want to make sure that it, I, I get some sort of compensation because that increase in rates is getting reflected in my transportation budget. So I want to mitigate that risk. So they can buy insurance policies basically for their uh, book of lanes and uh, maintain and uh, maintain their transportation budgets in a very transparent uh, way. And therefore, they can focus on other things like service quality uh, or, or maintaining efficient operations. Interesting. So, like, whenever it drops below that threshold, they just they they make a claim to Zen Hedge. How does that process work? So, they we are talking about the carriers, right? So, it's on the carrier side of things. So, let's say a shipper, uh, the price, uh, the index price goes. They, they bought a insurance policy for let's say three dollars per mile, okay? And this and the index, the the freight waves index settled at three dollars and five cents. Mm. They will get five cents. Uh, multiplied by the number of miles that they bought the coverage for as a as a claims payment, so that way they are protected at three cent uh, three dollars per mile. In terms of carrier, if the prices go down, they will buy a policy which says you know if the prices go below a dollar eighty per mile, um, and actually the index settles at dollar seventy five or two dollars and thirty nine that you just saw. Um, then the the insurance claim will pay the difference between the trigger point that you bought and where it settled. So that's how you're protecting against the downside from a career perspective. So is it all insurance now? Have insurance programs uh, effectively 
an efficiently displaced risk? Yeah, so, you know, the insurance is one of those things that has been used in a lot of different areas to displace risk. And we talk about risk in the trucking world uh, quite a lot, you know, and there are a lot of ways to mitigate it, technology, operational, all those things have to be done. But in addition to that, insurance offers uh, this elegant solution where uh, you've done everything you can, but just in case, if something goes wrong, you have this additional layer of protection. Therefore, it gives you peace of mind. It gives you, it, it, it opens up uh, time for you to work on things that you have not prioritized as much, you know? So that is the benefit of having an insurance that can help you. Well, very interesting. Well, people who want to learn more about this, they want to connect with you or they have any questions about what they heard, where do I send them to? Absolutely. Um, first of all, the insurance is not available for sale yet. So I'm not soliciting in this conversation um, sale of insurance. The, uh, if they want to reach me, they can uh, reach either the ZenHedge website, ZenHedge.com, or you can also reach me via Krishnan at ZenHedge.com. Hey, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Supply chain meets fintech, kind of like uh, the werewolf meets the mummy or something like that. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Really glad to be on the show. Thank you. Take it easy. I appreciate that. Yeah. Hey, our next our next guest, our, oh, before we get to him, by the way, got a new addition on the desk here. Got Bill Burr hanging out on the desk. That's the good thing about, like, this is why I got to get on, like, The Mandalorian or a Star Wars show, because they'll make a figure, an action figure out of any random character. So we got old Freckles right here. And it's a pretty good, accurate representation of his face. I wonder uh, wonder how Baldy feels about that. Anyways, it's Dan Curtis. He's EVP, Chief Operating Officer, and Chief Relationship Management Officer at Triumph Pay. Man, Dan, how do you get anything done with all those titles? It's a lot of words. It is a lot of words. You're a, uh, well, you're well-educated. You're a Baylor Bear, are you not? I am. Lifetime Texan, just moved Lifetime. up I-35 uh, my whole life. So you must be sitting in the, uh, are you sitting in like the Dallas HQ right now? I am. Wow. All right. How are, how are things treating over there? For people who've never heard of Triumph Pay, for whatever reason, what's the, what's the elevator pitch on, on, your, on your team? Um, so Triumph Pay, we are working to uh, automate and make more efficient the presentment, audit, and payment of carrier invoices. So we come into a broker and we will take over the, the uh, back office pay carrier payable function. And we do that by lifting it out of, out of their operation, handling it here with our team and with OCR, um, making cash available through quick pay programs that we expand and manage ourselves. And then we also create efficiencies within the back office by handling that, that uh, operation in-house here. Interesting. So what, what's the most exciting thing going on in that space right now before we jump into things over here? So we are working in a network construct to automate that whole process by having hundreds of brokers integrate into our network and factors integrate into our network. That way, all of the carrier invoices that are presented um, from a factor perspective that are being um, that are broker invoices, those can be verified, paid all all through the network in an automated fashion with no need for um, for human intervention. So we've done about a one point two billion of those payments out of our, we're doing about $24 billion a year in Triumph Pay um, in carrier payments. 
Wow. All about speeding up, getting people paid faster. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. That is exciting. And you know, automation's all the rage in any space you go into, and no surprise, you're hearing it in fintech as well. It's the one thing people are always looking for, and they're afraid is the money for it. Good to hear. So, But the one topic we hear about in terms of money, right, and we can't escape from, is interest rates. What is going on with interest rates? How are they impacting freight? How are they hitting brokers? What's going on there? So in the last year, everyone's seen the Fed rate hikes, and it's almost five percentage points now in the last year, which is, you know, it's been a long time since we've seen that. And the money was close to free for years before that. So in a brokerage, typically you're getting paid 15 to 30 days um, by a customer after you paid the carrier. So you need access to cash. You're either going to have to have a revolving line of uh, credit or investment, or you're going to get an asset-based loan. And so as these interest rates rise, the cost of, of doing business for brokers has, has dramatically increased. And so at, at Triumph Pay, what we can do to create cash is come in and manage a quick pay program whereby most brokers are offering quick pay to carriers if they want to get paid one to two days. We can take that over. We have over 40,000 select carriers within our network that take quick pay on every load. And so as that program increases, the amount of cash that's produced um, for the broker increases because we are actually paying those carriers in two days and the broker's paying us at the end of their normal standard pay terms, which is 30 days. What happens when that doesn't happen? I mean, we're talking a big a big issue here is risk, right? We're talking about risk on this show. And what happens when one of these participants can't pay their vendors, when these terms, when cash gets tight, when cash gets hard, what is the impact on, on a broker? So if they if they have a significant quick pay program and their liquidity is getting crunched, that program is likely going to be shelved. They just can't bear the burden of cash going out in two days and not getting paid for 45 to 60 days by the customer. We step into the middle of that and we allow that term to be put out to 30 days. We even offer supply chain financing that can extend that payable further than 30 days for credit worthy brokers to enable more cash generation for for that broker. So it's really, you know, we, we have supply chain fin financing on both sides of the balance sheet. We can discount and pay um, invoices faster on the AR side, or we can extend payables um, all for, you know, um, creating more cash. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so tell me, tell me about the impact on the other end of that. What happens to their partners? Because this is all a cascading thing. You can't pay one person. The other person doesn't get paid. And this all goes wrong. So, I mean, the, what our main goal in Try and Pay is to become the, when we are, the primary payor for carriers in the, in the U.S. And our, our intent is to get them paid as fast and as quickly and as accurately as possible. One benefit of having this payments uh, service now in, in place for over four years is that we have over six million distinct records from hundreds of brokers around who should be getting paid. And we have there's no one else with that kind of information to accurately get people paid, get them paid fast. And again, through the network, increase that or decrease that friction over time by having a fully verified, automated way. Hey, do we get do we get his audio? I think I I, I just lost uh, Dan's audio for a second there. Dan, you, you still there? There, yeah, there. We're back. We're back. Let's continue that conversation. How important is liquidity right now? You mentioned before money was cheap, right? So that meant there was a certain dynamic going on. Well, now money's not cheap. What does this mean? 
it's going to be harder for especially small brokers unless they have some access to financing to to scale to grow. The, the market is already challenging enough as we've seen kind of the boom in 21, 22 and the shifting uh, trends within the the, uh, the freight market. When you add a liquidity uh, increase or interest increase over time, and it becomes more difficult to access liquidity for growing brokers and startup brokers and, and carriers for that matter. Um, it is, it, they are needing partners uh, like what Triumph Pay and Triumph can offer to provide that cash in order to grow a business and sustain a business and not get, you know, eaten up by the interest crunch and not get into a position of liquidity where they, they can't uh, make their, their, their payments. How challenging does credit become in an environment like this? It it uh, it certainly the underwriting process and the credit process gets um, tighter in, in in an environment like this. We we have history with a, a lot of these carriers and brokers, and we have a very you know uh, mature credit and underwriting process that that we are heavily involved with, and we make decisions based on relationship plus our review of the ratios and the financial condition of all these parties. So we. We will actively work with carriers, with brokers to understand where they are and to help provide the type of financing they need to weather some of these more challenging liquidity markets. So if I'm a carrier, from your perspective, what should I be doing right now? What should I be looking at? What should I be thinking about in terms of factoring and, and what Triumph Pay does? Uh, the best way you know, to, for carriers to interact is you know, to make sure that they have the liquidity needed from either a discounted invoice arrangement, a factoring arrangement, or to work with reliable shippers and brokers that are going to pay them consistently in a timely manner. Um, carriers that are involved um, with brokers that uh, are trying to pay customers, they can see all of their payments that are coming through all the brokers that they work for that are trying to pay customers. Um, there is just an ability to manage how brokers are paying them. Um, what their payment terms are, how fast they want to be paid by those brokers at what discount. And so it's a it's a cash, as as you know, in small businesses, especially in the small carrier market, cash is king and, and they have to get access to that to be able to continue to operate those units and uh, and get the next load. So we step into that in a couple different ways here at Triumph. So how about the brokers? What should the, the brokers be be thinking about? I mean, similar, but but the reverse? Yeah, I mean, the brokers, you know, depending, scale is such a big piece of a brokerage's cash position. So if you, as you, these last two years, as people scaled, it, it put pressure on cash because of that dynamic of when customers are, are getting paid. Now that things have, have slowed a bit, just the ability to sustain through these more challenging cycles, um, you need to have options for 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 financing and, and doing it through the supply chain, doing it through your carrier payables, your shipper receivables and extending those in one manner factoring or extended payment terms um, can create that access to liquidity that will carry you through until you start to get the increased in uh, increased revenue and cash from from a more robust market. Interesting, interesting. So before we let you go, what should people be be thinking about anything new coming out of Triumph Pay? What is the next the first next thing they should do after uh, after they hear what you had to say here? So, I mean, our biggest move is this network concept whereby we are automating the full presentment audit payment cash application of 
carrier invoices through a structured data network whereby we know both parties and we know that the load is the load and who's getting paid is who's getting paid and it can move through the network in a fully automated fashion. That is a growing and uh, great piece of our business, which will save the industry money. It reduces friction for all parties in a significant way. So we are we are really moving that payments network forward. We are also going to be stepping into as these, you know, times get more tough. There are unfortunately more people out there that may be uh, misrepresenting who they are and double brokering loads, or there may be just flat out bad actors that are seeking to get fraudulent payments. And with our history and with our volume of records and payment records, we're going to be helping the industry navigate through some of that, um, that challenge here in the coming months. Oh, interesting. Hold on. Now, now my ears are perking up. Can you can you touch on that real quick? What is this double brokering service? I people, I, I worked on that side of the industry. Big problem, uh, and it hasn't gotten any worse since I got out of that side of the industry because I hear people complaining about it all the time. Uh, we there will be more to come in that space. Uh-huh. We are we are <laughs> we're we're not ready to to come out with it. We have the focus from a data perspective that we have matched records that we've been accumulating over the last three years, four years, and we'll be using that to help us, the industry, understand who is who and who should be getting paid and who is moving what load and are they who they say they are. So it's a very important thing with the position in which we sit for us to be good stewards of that data and in the industry and help people kind of navigate those challenges. All right, Dan. Well, thanks for getting our beak wet. And for everything else, I really appreciate it. Everyone go check out triumphpay.com. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. You bet. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Got one more guest here. It is Steve Kochan. He is this, the founder and CEO over at Comfrate and Hall Pay as well. I think he's coming in out of California. Is he over in Long Beach over there? Steve, where are you sitting today? Hey, Timothy, yeah, here in Long Beach, and uh, we're getting some much-needed rain, depending where you're at. Some some folks like it, some folks don't, but uh, yeah, over here in Long Beach, California. Is it flooding over there? I saw, like, there was a ton of snow. The snow melted. There's been nonstop rain. It's been like a, an El Nino type of event. It does remind me of El Nino, for sure. Uh, <laughs> NorCal's getting a lot harder and central, so um, I'm pretty close to the beach, but uh, no squalls are, are taking the house away yet, so can't complain. Well, so when I was in college, I really wanted to get out to Southern California. So I did an internship out at a record label and it was during El Nino. So it never rains out in LA except when I came out there and I didn't rent a car because my uh, hotel, my extended stay hotel was only a mile away and it, it just rained uh, every, every single day. I, I well, still hey, remember those floods. <laughs> They're notorious. So yeah, they, yeah, nice, nice they were notorious. They were notorious. Well, tell me about this. You're the founder of the company. Before we even jump into anything over here, what's the elevator pitch on Comfrey? What y'all do? Yeah, sure. So Comfrey's evolved. I actually started it back in 2013 as a, a project to build a better load board. Um, and then 2017, raised a little bit of money and uh, we pivoted the focus uh, and started. I started building a team around it um, to focus on financial technology for the industry. Specifically, we started with um, factoring, digital factoring for carriers, just a better way to do digital factoring. We integrated it into our load board. Um, and then launched a mobile app to uh, a free mobile app for carriers and loads and to do that digital factoring. Um, and we've then expanded into broker invoice factoring. And we've just recently expanded into uh, payments as a service uh, for brokers uh, and even shippers um, who may not need factoring or may not need financing, but want to use all the benefits of our 
our automated workflows and technology. So it's a comprehensive financial technology platform for all three actors now. Um, and we add in the free software like the load board and integrations to TMS systems to really up the value without increasing the price to the client. When, when did you realize that you had to make that that pivot? Uh, a lot of times with startups, it can be a near-death experience. Sometimes it's just it's just good business. Sometimes your customers just pull you in that direction. That's the way the current is going. That's what they're demanding. Yeah, so... Um, you know, I, I, I think that we just I just started talking to our customers, frankly. So, you know, the load board had been uh, I was trying to build this all encompassing agnostic marketplace, which a lot of different startups I think have tried over the years, even since I decided to pivot or focus uh, pr primarily. But um, but basically just talk to our customers, say, hey, what's the next biggest challenge you guys have? Um, I didn't think it was going to be uh, really a, a good idea to try to go up against DATs or the truck stops, the rolling load board thing. Um, and saw this as a bigger opportunity, it just wasn't getting addressed by the market yet. We've seen more obvious entrants now. I'm really excited you guys have this whole segment and symposium on uh, fintech and supply chain. Um, but uh, yeah, we were a little bit earlier and uh, definitely seen some of the benefits for us and the clients now. What is the biggest challenge that your clients are telling you right now? And has that changed? Has that, has that changed over what we saw in the past couple of years? Um, I mean, as we all know, the industry goes through cycles. Uh, this is definitely one of the most challenging cycles, for sure. Um, I actually started my career back at, at the day at C.H. Robinson in 2008. So I've been through all kinds of interesting cycles and I've been touching transportation in one form or another since then. Um, I think the bigger bigger challenges right now, and, and Triumph Pay just mentioned it um, uh, previously, too, is um, you're going to have an increased risk of fraud, um, which is something that we also do currently address with the technology um, on the payment side, double brokering potentially. Um, you're also going to have challenges in cash flow and credit terms, right? You're going to start seeing shippers and even some brokers want to extend their payment terms out. So being able to be dynamic in the way you price financing solutions and offer those solutions and even mitigate the risk, like we're completely non-recourse, which is kind of unheard of um, in transportation, especially in broker factoring. Um, that gives a lot of protection to the client um, in an environment that might be um, a little tumultuous, to say the least, on the credit side. Why is that almost unheard of, and, and why is that your approach? Well, we just, I mean, I, I'm a big believer in using technology to create a better experience that is better for the end customer, right? Just because yeah. maybe financial services have been done this way for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, especially as we see technology exponentially improving every year. I think we, and I believe in our team has this, you know, belief that we can leverage that to create a more equal environment, a fairer environment for the small businesses and, and mid-sized companies, which is mostly what we target um, and, and provide them with uh, financing options that are effectively debt-free. Um, don't put them at risk from like a default. If like one or two invoices doesn't get paid um, with most um, traditional factoring or financing arrangements, they get charged that back and, and the, the environment we're in now with rates and margins getting chopped down, you know, or hopefully we're hitting the bottom, um, you may not survive that as a smaller mid-sized uh, carrier or brokerage, right? So we do really leverage our technology um, to enable us to do things like that. Really proud of that. So let's dive deeper on that. What are some alternative ways to finance your transportation business, especially from, um, from the perspective of, of debt or limiting debt? Yeah, so when you do non-recourse factoring, you got to look very carefully at the terms of those agreements. And there are some very good companies out there in the factoring and transportation finance uh, space that are, are a little bit more um, seasoned or just been around for a while. 
So whether you're looking at us or one of the larger incumbents that does transportation factoring, pay attention to the security agreement, pay attention to the terms uh, in, of what they have rights to as collateral. Are you signing away rights or personally guaranteeing this with your house, right? Um, are you putting up just assets in your business, right? That's gonna be in the security agreement and component of any of these factoring arrangements. Be careful with um, things like MCA loans or short-term business loans. Oftentimes the interest rates are extremely high and the terms are very unforgiving. Like if you miss a payment, they can come after all of your assets. They can come after even your personal assets. So really read the fine print when you're looking at alternative financing solutions, maybe that would be different than a traditional bank loan. In light of some of the things that just recently happened with SBV, for example, the bank that we saw in Signature Bank um, over this past you know, few days, um, it's likely that banking regulations um, and oversight will increase. That means a lot of small and even regional banks may pull back in their lending. So you may be forced to look at some alternative financing options like factoring, like other trade finance, like accounts payable or receivable financing of other forms. Um, so just really pay attention to that security agreement and make sure you're comfortable with um, the rights you're giving over to lean on your collateral, whether that be personal or business. Um, that's going to be really important in the future. Do we see, so now you got me curious, do we see predatory lending go up when money is free because it's easy and there's so much going on, it's easy to commit the fraud? Or do we do it when people are desperate? Is is now the time you really got to look out for it? Yeah, well, so, well, depending on where you're at, I think that when uh, the mar when there's a lot of cheap ca like cash, you know, when the interest rates are really low, you do have a buildup of a lot of what they call like the shadow banking industry, right? Like smaller alternative finance companies, lenders, Broker, broker dealers, layers on layers of different types of finance brokers. Um, and that can get quite convoluted and there is an opportunity or there could be, uh, there's sometimes more likely cases of um, onerous terms or just, you know, regulators can't keep up with the volume of those type of operations going on. So I do think that's maybe a little bit more common and in 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 we're coming through a cycle now where a lot of that's gonna get kind of sunlight on it, so to speak, the market's just gonna kind of force uh, some of that out. Um, and there'll probably be some consolidation in like the alt financing space, um, which does service a lot of our industry, right? Um, I see more payment fraud and um, spoofing or pretending to be a carrier to kind of pick up a payment. Those type of things, chameleon operations in our industry becoming more of, I think, a, a tactical risk and a day-to-day -day risk. Um, if you're operating, say, a brokerage or even a carrier operation that you have, we have multiple owner operators or drivers. So making sure that you can trust who you're paying downstream, um, that's that's gonna be more of a, a concern, I'd say, than, than an increase in uh, uh, onerous or uh, uh, you know, pay, payday lending kind of scenarios. Oh, I hear you. By the way, Barack Ben Orr says, very interesting conversations. Can you please share the rest of the agenda for today? Absolutely, if you're on uh, live.freightwaves.com, just scroll down, the agenda is right under you. Okay, fraud, double brokering, those kind of things. Do you get any tips for mitigating that constant thorn in the side of the industry and it goes on every single day? Yeah, I mean, it's really, I mean, you know, we use tools and I, I'm sure a lot of brokers is that have, have gotten, have either been bitten or gotten close to it, um, are, are, have, have kind of worked on getting tools arranged to try to help with that. So um, we use a basket of different services and data technology to help us, you know, basically early warning when we're vetting, uh, adding, let's say, carriers into our payment network, right? Uh, try and pay as much they're doing. They're working on something similar to that, for example. Um, when we vet any kind of client, right? As we vet clients, as we add more carriers and broker clients, we're also doing a vetting process using that third-party data. 
and they have to meet certain standards to even be able to operate on the platform, right? So we're always trying to maintain a high degree of trust and fidelity in that network uh, with, or someone we're paying downstream, a factoring company, a driver, a carrier. Um, what, should, uh, what should their clients look out for in terms of, of fraud? What are those, the signs and the risks there? What? I'm cutting out. Sorry. Oh, it's all <laughs> good. What, so, what should what should your clients? What should uh, what should the carriers, the brokers, be looking out for in terms of fraud? What are some standout things that they can protect themselves with? Yeah, I think it, you want to be careful. Make sure your, your KYC is really the fundamental, right? So know know who you're paying, know who you're you're booking freight with. Leverage things like Carrier Four One One or other industry uh, resources. Um, there's a bunch out there. Watchdog, I think, is another one that TIA offers it. Get as many of those in your basket as possible and verify their information, right? If someone's saying, hey, pay me, or you're getting them set up for a payment, um, try to find out if they actually own the bank account, right? Um, do some legwork there. Make sure you're actually paying that company owner. Verify directly with the data that's on the FMCSA, right? That's the stuff I think would help mitigate payment fraud, and that's stuff that you can um, add to your process if you're not using a third-party service, you know, tomorrow, so to speak. Yeah, don't just wire money via Western Union to, you know, like a random person. I, and it's Mexico. crazy because a lot of folks, you know, a lot of folks will say, hey, fill out our carrier packet and, you know, that's it, right? So in global trade, it's even worse because it's much more plausible that someone in some of these foreign zones you'd be buying something from would have limited technology. They might be trying to contact you this way. So the fraud gets a, a little bit tougher. But the other thing that happens in freight are payment errors because, you know, we get our, in this business, you get your billing quote and it's not the same. Then accessorials come on and something happens and something changes. It's a business where you really should be auditing your, your bills because they change frequently. But how do you protect against yeah. some of these payment errors? Yeah. So getting, getting data, like having some kind of data standard for your organization, right? So, you know, if you take a, take a step back and examine your process for your invoices, right? Are you just paying every invoice, you know, without actually reviewing them through any process? Are there technologies or services? Um, I've heard some really interesting ones today um, and kind of listening in throughout the, the summit um, that you might be able to leverage to kind of automate some more of that. So, um, you're not you're not losing. Some cases, groups are losing five to ten percent of their revenue to just basic errors, right? Um, how is your TMS um, or whatever technology you're using to manage your load data talking to your financial platform, right? Um, is there some kind of connection there where the structured data can get passed there without um, being disturbed, and this kind of continuous flow from like what you know is the source of truth that was agreed to during the tender all the way down to the final invoice. And then is there a way for you to verify that, right? Um, and you're smaller, you can do, start implementing processes that are manual and you can do that right away. But as you start to get larger and um, hopefully all the businesses listening will, will grow and uh, survive and thrive through, through this cycle, um, you'll wanna find ways to automate that. And um, that's something that we can help with. And again, there's also some really other, some great resources out there too that we've heard about today. Now, beyond paying people because it, it makes them happy and it keeps your services active, one of the main reasons you want services like this is to limit the amount of touch points you have, right? To automate a lot of this, to just make this process easier and less of a headache. How do you limit some of the back office expenses to stay leaner and how does this help with that? Yeah, so kind of playing and building off what I was just mentioning about having structured data and getting that data to be continuously passed along different pieces of your tech stack, basically, right? Um, just that alone is gonna 
make it less expensive for you to scale over time, right? You may not, you know, like some of our largest clients that have grown with us for the last several years now, uh, especially on the broker uh, factoring and payments piece, um, you know, they'll come out, they'll, they'll reach out to us, be like, hey, you know, if we weren't with you guys, we'd probably have, you know, three or four times the number of back office staff that then we need to have today to have gotten to this pretty rapid growth rate, right? So it can limit your growth, it can limit your ability to scale when you've got, uh, you know, a manual process where there can th be things that break down, it's not, it may not be fully consistent, you have to train new people up. And if you have a big client walk in the door and you get a big surge, um, then you may have to expect that for a certain number of months till you get that next person and you're gonna have a higher level of uh, errors and loss um, in your business, right? So. That's things that, you know, when I was a broker, I didn't really think about that much. Um, and once I got more involved with the back office and developing technology, um, we realized it's such a big, big challenge. So definitely um, ways that you can limit that, again, leveraging technology, living solutions like HallPay. Um, there may be other ones out there as well um, to uh, just get a better multiple out of that back office. Because I do believe that technology should be, um, you know, kind of supercharging and helping support our businesses rather than trying to eliminate positions outright. But if you can have one or two people instead of having, you know, six or seven or eight or nine, um, that's significant cost savings to the business. It'll limit the amount of errors because that, you know, hopefully the digital tech stack is communicating that data through um, with, with lossless error, uh, with no, no errors, and um, you'll be able to scale faster. And uh, it just all kind of work, fits together for a better overall back office. Well, before I let you go, SVB was a reminder that risk can come at you really fast. Anything else on the horizon sure. that we should be looking out for here that uh, that may trip us up in 23? Well, I, I, I think fundamentally the banking sector is good. I mean, the, the uh, without getting to politics, uh, they backstopped SVB, and that's going to keep a lot of businesses operating and a lot of cash um, and eight, especially payroll, so especially this week, uh, and a lot of venture companies that were backing a lot of, of newer entrants um, moving. So, um, I, you know, I don't think there's a systemic risk in the banking system. Um, I think we'll still definitely see some headwinds in the credit market. Like I mentioned earlier, banks uh, will probably see some more uh, increased regulation, even without new policy being passed this year. Um, and that may mean that they're going to uh, tone down the amount of small business lending that they're doing. This happened after 08. This is not anywhere near 08 or, or like financial crisis from a macro, in my opinion. But I think you may see uh, tightening on small business or even mid-market uh, mid lending. So you may, you may, as a business owner in transportation, if you're looking for financing uh, and just working capital in general, be forced to examine more um, alternative financing or trade finance options. So again, read those security agreements, figure out what they're going to put a lien on. I really try to understand those as much as you can. And if you have to pay a lawyer a couple hours and um, it'll save you a lot in the long run. Steve, thank you so much for your time. Everybody go check out Comfreight. Take care. Have a good day. Thanks, man. Take care. See you later. Thank you to Triumph Pay for sponsoring this episode and all of our guests on the show today. Hey, stick around. We got a couple more sessions after our networking lunch break. We got a fireside chat on uncovering the insurance crisis with uh, Johnny McCord from Loadster and the great Grace Shockey from Freightways. We got payment prioritization depends on capacity constraints. Haley Nix and Jake Detmer from Max Services. And we got how the supply chain and fintech converge in Latin America with Tommy Watson 
and Jamie Kepchenek from uh, Solvento. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Tuner if you like this show. Subscribe to it wherever you get podcasts. Look up What the Truck or go to Freightways YouTube channel. Subscribe over there. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Tuner. Take care. Don't be a stranger and enjoy lunch.